0: Well, welcome to another edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Kind of a cause and effect hour uh, that we're going to have here on the program, uh, simply because there was a... I want to take us back here in this first hour to a time in uh, United States history, and especially in church history, too, when we were dealing with a lot of uncertainty. And there were a lot of large decisions that were being made with regard to... Um, you know, the the way we do life here in the United States, that have, you know, three years later, we can look back and see what the impact has actually been. There was a great article that was published recently in CNBC, of all places, talking about the fact that we may be on the uh, brink of a a world catastrophe uh, for the first time since World War II, and they were looking at all the stars that were aligning, and I thought, oh my goodness, it's like they're listening to the bottom line show. Uh, they, they said, of course, the Israeli conflict with Hamas uh, definitely is going to have some world implications. They also talked about uh, the economy. They talked about uh, China and Russia in Iran. The, the BRICS uh, organization was it Brazil, Russia, India, China, and Saudi Arabia are the original five BRICS countries. That's B R I C S. And then there are other nations that are trying to join as well. And India has actually announced that, um, that they actually made this purchase. They recently purchased something like a billion dollars worth of uh, petroleum, but they bought it from uh, countries that, you know, obviously not from the United States, and they used uh, the rupee to make their purchase instead of the U.S. dollar. And it's the first time a major country, I mean, let's face it, India has like a sixth of the world's population, using their own currency instead of using the U.S. dollar. And there are leftists, there are progressives in the culture right now that seem to be of the impression that all we have to do is click our heels three times and say there's no place like home, and everything will become this utopia once again, whether it's with energy or um, you know, politics, religion, whatever it is. But when it comes to oil, those of us who remember being kids during the OPEC crisis of the 1970s remember that oil is a weapon. I mean, it is. It is definitely. I mean, petroleum has helped advance the cause of you know many different causes. I mean, we are we have progressed as people. Uh, tremendously because of petroleum products and i dennis prager has some great videos on those i highly recommend you take a look at them if you want to see but the this idea well you know i'm a i'm an eco-terrorist and so therefore uh, you know climate is the big issue and if we're burning gasoline that means we're ruining the environment therefore we have to go all electric not realizing that a lot of electricity is generated by coal and natural gas and it, it all goes on from there but to the left, I mean the the fact that BRICS is basically pulling away from the U.S. The thought was always the U.S. was so strong, you know, oil producing nation, military superpower, et cetera, et cetera. And in three short years, the U.S. has proven. I mean, in four years under Donald Trump's leadership, the U.S. became uh, energy independent and actually had the uh, the positive export rate as opposed to uh, importing more than we exported. And within about two and a half years, Joe Biden not only undid all that, but basically put America on the brink of financial collapse in the sense that largest trading partners, Russia, China, well, India, not so much. But I mean, in terms of these economies, you take Russia, we'll take China, India and Russia together. It's over half the world's population and the U.S. basically thumbed their noses at them by, well, yeah, okay, I guess we'll uh, we'll go ahead and uh, we're going to stop making our oil and we'll be dependent on yours. And they're saying, good, we'll put you in that spot then. And it's just, it's an interesting turn of events as to what's happening. But the fourth stool, if you will, in this conversation with regard to where the world is going was COVID. It was the COVID pandemic. uh, The fact that there were so many people who were impacted by this, nations, economies, We have a very strange situation in the U.S. right now where the typical markers that we would have for our economy improving, by the way, which would be job creation, uh, is is pumping along. Gross domestic domestic product was up 4.9% last month or last quarter. Um, Again, this is anecdotal because I read this earlier in this week. I don't have those notes in front of me, so I can't give you a a completely accurate count. But uh, suffice it to say, the... um, the October jobs report and the September jobs report were much better than analysts expected. Unemployment's under 4%. I mean, people seem to be doing fine, but we still have this weird issue of the fed keeps raising interest rates. They haven't recently, but I mean, since the first of the year, I believe they've, they've gone from a zero benchmark increase. They should have raised it in 2022 did not because they wanted to make sure during the midterms, everybody was saying uh, good things about them. Um, well, they, I mean, they raised a little bit when Ukraine war happened, but uh, compared to where we were, say in May of 2022, as I recall, the uh, the federal uh, borrowing rate, as it were, for banks, which then gets passed on to you and me, was at zero. Now it's 5.5. percent. So if you're looking for a um, if you're looking for a low cost loan, you're not going to find it right now. You're not going to find anything below 8 percent because the banks have to make money. But housing prices are still high because there is that market of cash buyers who have, let's say, the person's got equity in their home. Maybe they own the home completely outright. They don't need a mortgage for where they're moving because they're moving to a uh, cheaper, you know, less expensive place to live. They could pay cash for the house. So they don't have to worry about interest rates. And a lot of people who you know, say, let's that old junker you've got in San Francisco that costs $2 million, you can sell it. Clear at least a million dollars on it. Move to Texas or Tennessee. Pay half of that in cash for a brand new home. Bank the rest with Dennis Wilson. You know, <laughs> help Dennis invest it. eight hundred six nine six ninety nine seventy and have a great life. But that helps people who own homes. What about the people who did not own homes? What about the people who uh, found themselves on the short end of the housing crunch and now they're just fortunate to have a job, but life has become too expensive for them? Uh, and what about the people whose lives have been altered dramatically because of COVID? The dramatic alterization or alteration of COVID was simply that, A, people were told that this disease could do all sorts of horrible things that she couldn't, or they couldn't, um, B, that we were not going to try to find treatment for said disease, but rather we were going to try to find a vaccine. Didn't anybody else find it curious? that the CDC and all the big pharma companies spent so much time trying to rush a vaccine into play that they didn't take into consideration the number of people who'd actually been infected and impacted by this. I mean, if that's not some kind of government collusion, I don't know what is. And then comes the jab, as people refer to it. And I know there's some bottom line listeners who don't like it when I call the jab. You know, no jab, no job. I've talked to too many people who didn't like that. But now there's a new study with regard to the... uh, Uh, The Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, and the AstraZeneca version of the vaccine uh, comes out of Italy, and they uh, looked at people who received the vaccines in July of 2021. So the first year, you know, COVID starts in March of 2020. By the end of the year, first part of the next year, here come the vaccines, and a lot of people rushed to go get them, and other people did not. 19,000 or so people who received the COVID vaccines, the majority of them were from um, uh, Pfizer, then Moderna, and then AstraZeneca. Uh, the Pfizer and Moderna uh, vaccines are what they call mRNA disease or vaccines. AstraZeneca is an adenoneurovirus that uses a different mechanism to trigger the r- immune response. Short version is when you get the vaccine, the mRNA is triggered and it triggers the immune response, and it was designed to fight the COVID virus. Unfortunately, in this survey, of the people, one third, one out of every three people who received a COVID vaccine, uh, COVID-19 vaccine shot, suffered some sort of neurological complication. It could have been something as basic as insomnia, maybe muscle spasms, some even experienced tremors. I said the one in three, it's actually 31.2% of vaccinated individuals develop post-vaccination neurological complications. Now, even though AstraZeneca used a different formula than Pfizer or Moderna, that one had the highest percentage of people who wound up more than 53% of the people who took the AstraZeneca shot suffered from headaches that usually lasted for about a day. 13% Thirteen percent developed tremors, which typically reverted after a day as well. Five point eight percent of Astrazeneca recipients reported insomnia, and um, two point seven uh, had tinnitus. Okay, so that's not a huge number per se, but here's the thing: the Moderna jab. Almost forty percent of the people who took the jab found out that they were they had a uh, uh, the the vaccines led to what they're called. Uh, a selective immune-mediated destruction of orexin-producing neurons, which is T-cell-mediated neurological damage uh, that triggers narcolepsy. In other words, a lot of people felt overly tired for a week or more after getting the vaccine. Now, you might argue, okay, well, so what? Um, <laughs> I mean, if, if, if it's to keep you from getting COVID and dying, you know, what what's the big deal? But the more we found out about COVID, We found out that the treatments, so-called, weren't necessarily solutions at all. And what the COVID pandemic wound up doing is driving us further and further away from each other. It became a wedge issue, a cudgel, if you will, that drove people to really not appreciate one another. Interestingly enough, in the middle of all that, so now you've got racial tension, you've got economic tension, you've got political tension. Now you add the, did you get the jab or not tension? In the middle of all this, Bishop Kenneth Ulmer wrote a book on race, reconciliation, and righteousness in a divided world. He never would have known that the book that he published in December of 2019 would turn out to be so prophetic in terms of, okay, well, we're talking about this as it pertains to race, but look at all the other areas where this could be uh, germane, if you will. Uh, The book Walls Can Fall, Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness in a Divided World is up at TheBottomLineShow.com. In light of this new medical information with regard to COVID, I thought it was uh, prudent for us to revisit this conversation I had with Bishop, Bishop Ulmer right in the middle of the start of the pandemic, talking about what we're learning about the culture, what the way we're responding to the pandemic is teaching us, and what we as Christians could do to bridge the gap. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line Continues. Thanks for tuning in to the Bottom Line Show today. I'm Roger Marsh and one that's very encouraging, one that will be a little bit eye-opening with a very, very special guest talking about a topic that, of course, everyone's talking about it, But the idea is how do we come at this from a way that is more solutions driven rather than I've got all the information and I want to win my argument. Kenneth C. Ulmer uh, has served as senior pastor and teacher at Faithful Central Bible Church in Los Angeles for over 37 years. He's the author of numerous books. Uh, His most recent one is one that I think even he could not believe the timing of this book and the call that God had to write it. The book is called Balls Can Fall. Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness in a Divided World. We have a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Bishop Kenneth C. Elmer, it's an honor to welcome you to The Bottom Line Show today.
1: Thank you, sir. So kind of you to have me on. I appreciate it in these these last and evil days, just the rough days around here, but Man. We're, we're trusting God.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, they're, they're rough, and yet at the same time, and I'm going to sound really overly optimistic and maybe even a little naive, I think we're on the precipice of some real change, where there's rage— there's anger there's protest whatever it is and then somebody says we're going to do something about it and then it's rinse lather repeat you know I mean yeah. it's, we just we go back something tells people we're on the precipice of making some real and lasting change do you share that encouragement you know enthusiasm? i
1: i I have an I have an optimism that's about two clicks past cautiously optimistic it's leaning okay. on the optimism side
2: <laughs> that's I, fair I think
1: no you know what I think God is up to. Uh, the, the, the prophet Isaiah said, "God is doing a new thing," and mm-hmm. I think yes. in the middle of this mess, I think there's the majesty of God. Maybe it's never before; it's never been like this before. I'm, I'm right. probably older than you, and so I, I've I, I went through the watch riots. Uh, I know about the Rodney King piece, but there has and 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 the last ten or eleven cases of of black men and women being being mm-hmm. shot and killed. But there's never been anything like this. Never yeah. been anything that had this kind of global impact. I heard some uh, this morning reports about Amsterdam, about Syria, uh, about Paris. There's something unique about this, and I don't really understand it in the earth realm, but I believe in the spirit realm. Yes. Uh, I'm kind of like you. I believe it's going to be different this time, and I'm, I'm kind of going out on a limb. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, but I believe that this is going to be different, and I believe that God is going to do something that the world has never seen before.
0: How personal is this book for you? Because, I mean, I'm looking at the release date here. The book's been out for a little while, and yet the timing of this, is, it's almost like you wrote it last weekend. I mean,
1: you, I, I, you, I'm about <laughs> You that. know, actually, it hasn't been out for I – and mean, here's what I mean by that. No one would publish that book. No one. Really? I, three, three publishers turned it down, two of which I've done books with in the past.
2: And one one of
1: the owners of the publishing company uh, said, he said no, he said all all of them said we can't sell a book on race. Nobody is interested in. And one friend of mine said he was a friend who owns the company. He said, let me tell you this, man. Nobody's going to buy a book on race because the lines are already drawn and everybody's minds are made up. He says my my liberal friends are going to remain friends, remain liberal, and my racist friends are going to remain racist. And nobody wants Hmm. to hear about the other side. No one will publish it. So it really hasn't been out because no one would publish it, and and then I had to, you know, some copies in in my, in my office. But um, you are right about the providential timing of God. Uh, who would have mm-hmm, known? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the, the book is very painful. The book is very personal. Um, I don't think I've ever written a book that was um, hopefully as synergistic between the, a theological approach and, uh, and a personal approach. Uh, I tell some very painful stories that I've never, never told before. Hmm. Uh, but the timing of it um, is in the sovereign timing of God, and to, u- to use a phrase, for such a time as this, I believe God yes. has a word uh, through that book.
0: Hmm. Bishop Kenneth C. Elmer is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Walls Can Fall, Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness in a Divided World. We've got a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Um, what I... I think the thing that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, Bishop Holmberg, mm-hmm. is when I when I see, you know, I f- spent a lot of time on social media trying to figure out, you know, where everybody is, you know, what, what, what t- kind of take everyone's cultural temperature <laughs> yeah, and actually yeah. get some good information. I know you do, too. <laughs> and when I see people already going into their bunkers and saying, OK, well, I'm white and don't hand me this because let me show you the statistics about gun violence or someone who says, well, I'm black and it's always been like this and you're not going to listen anyway. So just get out of the way and let me that. I'm starting to see though the visual I have, and I can't unsee this, is police officers and protesters kneeling together, and saying yeah. we've got to come to some kind of reconciliation. Churches coming together, and you recently your your Pentecost message, but had a lot of holy fire for one group of individuals in particular. <laughs> to, to talk about that. I mean, because wounds of a friend. I mean, I, I we'll take that, but but the talk about why why I mean it was just the, it was about tongues of fire, and next thing you know, the white evangelical church is literally under the spotlight. <laughs>
1: You know, I think a couple of things. I, I, think, I think you are right in, in terms of the bunker mentality. What I think while one group is in a bunker on the left side and one group is in a bunker on the right side, more and more people are coming from one side or the other, meeting in the streets, mm-hmm. meeting on their yes. knees. It's never been like that before, man. The, the, there's never been this kind of response that has been so multi-ethnic, so multi-racial. Uh, I'm, I'm 72 years old, and I've never seen mm-hmm. it like this.
0: And so you're not 72. I've seen your pictures. There's I, no I, way you're 72. I, I'll
1: tell you what, what, uh, what Billy Graham says. It's just the makeup. It's the makeup. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, in spite of it all, I share your optimism, man. And I think God is doing something here uh, that, that the world has never seen before. I, I think there's an opportunity here. And and mm-hmm. part of the point I was making in, in, in the message and in one of the chapters in the book is that uh, – more and more, maybe like never before in this instance, more and more white evangelicals are taking the stand. I'm, I'm a part of a global network. We uh, were on a, on a phone call last last uh, Monday with about fifty or sixty global leaders, and uh, when, before we finished, you know, a, a word went out saying, "Hey, look, let's pray about this thing. Let's let's talk about this thing because because." All of their countries were affected by the COVID piece. You know, right. the, the, that's another hope. We, that's still going on. You know, mm-hmm. but but now the pain is spreading. The concern, the, the, the flags are going up around the world in some of these same places that are saying, wow, you know, I think there's a kind of coming together that the world has never seen before. And I'm optimistic, and I, I, I do have some friends who are, you know, say, hey, you know, it's going to be another thing before. And a part of what I said last Sunday in the message was this. It was that the thing that does hurt me and does pain me is that it is here we go again. Mm -hmm. It is another example. It is, you know, another tenth or eleventh time that 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 at least at least there was a perception of a lack of justice. But Mm -hmm. I think God is up to a new thing.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm sensing that too, Bishop Kennedy Elmer, my guest today here on the Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. His book is called Walls Can Fall. Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness in a Divided World. We've got a link for the book up at the com, Exclusively focusing on the black-white uh, paradox problem, or is this a, an issue that you're sensing other ethnic groups are also experiencing and saying, hey, if we're the church, if this is John 13, 34, and 35, if this is that new commandment Jesus gave us, everyone's going to know that we're his disciples if we love one another, and yet we're kind of at war with each other over this. Uh, who? Who did you intend uh, – who was, who was your audience for this book when you wrote you it? You
1: know, that's funny because uh, the uh, day before yesterday someone asked me that question, and I think I would say the, there's a word here for those who may say, wow, maybe I don't get this, or mm-hmm. maybe there's another side to this, or maybe I don't understand it the way I thought it. Maybe I don't know that I didn't know this. And so I mm-hmm. think that, that, that it, it is a word that is, has a universal appeal, but also I think it is a word—and maybe that's why these publishers wouldn't publish it. They say everybody's mind yeah. is made up. Right. I'm saying maybe there's a guy, there's a lady out there who would say, you know, I got this. I know the statistics, but maybe this is a different perspective. I, I, unashamedly, I unashamedly stand on my, 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 my Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. I just don't think I should have to make a, make a choice between my blackness and my biblicity. And my mm-hmm. worldview is based by the Word of God. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been black longer than I've been Bible,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. but but
1: I believe that the love of God, the the grace and mercy of God, allows me to be both and allows me to lift Him up. I think that my concern has been in the past is that I think that I I I, I think I know I've been in relationships I have friends who and we 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 can speak on conferences together, but when I hurt. When this kind of such, such, uh, pain uh, uh, invades the community, I hear nothing. A, a friend of my a rabbi friend of mine, just told me this, this the day before, yesterday, uh, two days, three days, three days ago, Monday, told me this Monday. Uh, he tells a story about a, 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 um, a, a yarn, a tale, and I think it was the Mishnah, one of the uh, Hebrew, Hebrew uh, texts, and he says this. Two men who have been friends for years have a conversation about their love for one another. And this one guy says, do you love me? And, and, and the other guy says, oh, man, you know, I love you. We've been together so and so on. So he says, do you really love me? He says, oh, man, we, you know, we, we go fishing together. We're, we've been friends for years. He says, what am I hurting about? Why, why, is, why, is, why am I hurt? Mm-hmm. And the guy said, well, I don't know. Tell me. And he said, if you knew me and you really loved me, you'd know my hurt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a, matter, it's a matter of at least saying, let me look on the other side. The, I, I told a story Sunday about, Joy, I think it was Joyce Landorf, was speaking at a conference one day, and a lady uh, at the end of the conference came to the bottom of the stage, and she said, uh, uh, Ms. Landorf, she said, oh, she was crying. She said, my husband died, and then my, my son died, and this, that. And and Joyce said, and she, she said, she said do you have a word for me? And Joyce said, Joyce said my sister, I, I, I don't have a word. She said, but can I cry with you? Mm. And Joy stood at the bottom of the stage and just hugged her mm. and held her. I think I'm saying that 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 I'm seeing more and more because I had not seen it. I'm seeing more and more in the last two weeks of my evangelical friends, my white evangelical friends, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. who don't hesitate to call me to their side of town, but who are now saying, "Hey man, I'm weeping with it. I, I don't understand all this," but but there's a level of solidarity mm. that I'm seeing that's been new, at least in my experience.
0: That's very powerful. Bishop Kenneth Ulmer is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, His book is called Walls Can Fall, Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness in a Divided World. We have a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Bishop Ulmer, I know your time is tight. Can I keep you for a couple more minutes? I'd be honored, sir. I'd be honored. Okay, great. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back with more of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives welcome back to the bottom line show i'm roger marsh bishop kenneth ulmer is my guest today here on the broadcast he's served as senior pastor teacher of faithful central bible church here in la for nearly 40 years now he's past president and adjunct professor at the king's university and a founding member of that uh, school as well founded by the, uh, the late pastor jack hayford he wrote a book uh back in 2020 called walls can fall Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness in a Divided World. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. He published it on his own because this is a guy who's a very well-respected pastor, author, teacher. Um, When he pitched this book to scads of uh, different Christian publishing houses, they all turned him down. They said, too controversial, too hot of a topic, we're not going to do it. So he published it himself. And we have two copies of this book uh, that we're giving away today here on the bottom line. Not one, but two. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book by Bishop Kenneth Ulmer is called Walls Can Fall, Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness in a Divided World. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, more of my conversation with Bishop Kenneth C. Ulmer of Faithful Central Baptist Church um, right here in Los Angeles, faithfully serving there for many, many years and uh, and working as a, a, an instrument of reconciliation and righteousness in a divided world. More with Bishop Ulmer in just a moment as the bottom line
2: continues. Been hurt in an accident, and you're wondering if you should call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law. You must. That's why insurance exists, to cover accidents, so you should use it. Stephanie worked in the insurance industry for over 20 years, and she knows their system, how to talk to adjusters, how they think, and how to get back from them all that you've lost. That could be wages, time, property, or anything else that the accident has taken from you. Every minute you wait hurts your chance to be made whole again, And Stephanie knows that the opposing insurance company is building a case against you, so time is a factor. Stephanie cares about the truth. She builds your case on a rock-solid foundation of honesty. She will give you a clear understanding of what to expect during the process, and Stephanie will ensure that the truth comes to light. If you or someone you know has been in an accident and you're not sure if you need an attorney, reach out to Stephanie Cover now at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R.
0: Thanks for tuning into the Bottom Line Show today. I'm Roger Marsh. Kenneth C. Ulmer is my guest, the senior pastor and teacher at Faithful Central Bible Church in Los Angeles, author of a brand new book that I think is going to really not ignite any sort of tension, but rather bring people together. The book is called Walls Can Fall, Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness in a Divided World. We've got a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. And Bishop ulmer did you say before the break that this is a book that you wound up self-publishing because no Christian publishing house would touch this book?
1: No one would touch it. No one would touch wow. it. I, 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 begin, I opened the opening line of the first book of, of the first chapter is this, and it's kind of a t- painful testimony, and it is this. Mm-hmm. I, I am, and I mean I am as in this day in my 72nd year of living, I, I'm a recovering racist i've mm. I, I, I've seen the power of God change my heart, and ultimately ultimately, and I don't mean to be deep and deep, deep and you know super spiritual, but ultimately there's a heart issue that's a part of the element of this whole racism mm. issue and yeah. and were it not for the power of God, were it not for the spirit of the living God who who the Bible says in, in the Old Testament, God can take your heart out, God can change your heart. And and th- that that's part of my testimony that I've seen God take me from being a little ten year old boy who was scarred by by, by the way a, a white man talked to my my grown daddy and to mm-hmm. call my daddy a boy when my daddy was very grown and just mm-hmm. the way that that happened and, and the scars that I thought I was over it and how time and time in my life it's that that scab has been opened again. But but to see the healing power of God, and and so I've learned I've learned that not only it it can God heal us and can God thereby make a difference, but but if I don't know that my heart is hurting, if I don't know that my heart is scarred, I don't know that my heart needs to be fixed. I'll never go to a cardiologist.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. And you have to know. And I, I realize that we are so bent on head knowledge in especially in the anglo community i mean you go to i remember talking with a, an african-american friend of mine pastor in the dc area and he said man if we can take the inspiration of the black church and the information of the white church we could rule the world because you it. know white <laughs> you know because it's true bible study after study guide after 45 minute verse by verse preaching and then you go to an african-american church and there's singing and there's joy and it's wonderful and we'll crack it open when we get to it but I, I realize you put you, – you, but you know, I mean, the, the, obviously you're a great Bible teacher too, Bishop Ulmer, and, and I appreciate the fact that you bring the two together. But the idea that there are so many people, I think, who think they know in their head, okay, I know what this is all about, and I've got the information and the statistics, and I, I know what Jesus says about you know everyone living in unity, and that's fine. But I don't – I wonder how many people, as you shared the story with the rabbi from the earlier segment, I wonder how many people have actually – you don't look somebody in the eye and know what the hurt is like, know what the crying is, involves, how many tears have been shed. And, and it feels so useless to just say, well, Bishop Ulmer, can I cry with you? Can I, can, I, can I grieve with you? And yet it seems like that's the point where we are right now, where people are saying, I'm willing to do that because that seems like a good first step. Is well, that an so you, accurate you, assessment? You,
1: you can't cry unless you care. Mm, you, you, if you cry, that. you can't cry unless you care. And what's happening now is that more and more people are—I are, are know it's simplistic—but they're getting it. They, and, and why it took this one, I don't know. I, I was on, a, on a, um, a webinar last night with a, a rabbi friend of mine, and one of the ladies, one of the persons in, in the audience said, "You know, well, why is this so different? And, and you know, black mm-hmm. people die every year and, by, and, and every day, and white people die every day. I don't know." I don't know, and that's why I'm saying there's something divine about this thing. I don't know why this one is so different. Even, you know, uh, uh, Brianna who got killed and and Aubrey who got killed, and that's still coming out, uh, and Gardner up up in New York. why, Why they didn't spark this kind of response, I don't know. But I know that there that there is there is a there is a hand uh, in, in 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 the invisible realm that's touching hearts. I believe like never before, and I, I am I'm like you. I I really think this is going to be a, a, a an optimistic time where God is going to do some great things.
0: I'm talking with Bishop Kenneth C. Elmer today here on the Bottom Line. His book is called When Wall, Excuse Me, called Walls Can Fall. Race, Reconciliation and Righteousness in a Divided World. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and I can imagine it's a very, very popular read right now as people are are moved by this. I, I had a, a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of talking with Dr. John Perkins and uh, we re-aired a portion of that interview a couple of days ago and I was looking on Amazon going, oh my goodness, this book, One Blood, is flying <laughs> off the shelves right now because people are, they wanna read it in the body of Christ especially. And that again, not that I don't care about the world, but the unity in the body first and foremost, I think is paramount importance. And, we're, and as Dr. Perkins said in our conversation, it's not going to change in the world unless it starts in the church. Tony Evans has said that as, as much. B- Bishop Kenneth Ulmer, talk to us who are predominantly Christians listening to these radio stations that carry the bottom line show. Talk to us now about some next steps, because the big concern that a lot of people have is also the the hope that some people have, which is won't this just blow over? Can't we just settle down and stop the rioting and get back to, quote unquote, Normal. There is no new. Uh, there's going to be a new normal now. that's totally to new normal. New. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah.
1: The, the, the word. The word normal comes from a Latin word that has to do with uh, um, a, a carpenter's square. It, it means that what fits into that square is normal. What fits into that square uh, mm. is is the norm. Is the norm. And I believe that square has been broken. I think there's yep. never going to be. We're we're not going back to that normal again. God, the the whole world is going to be in a whole different 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 situation. But the question does arise: What can we we do what see my my I do have this concern my concern is that after all of the burning and all the looting and all the rioting and all the praying in and all the marching and everything is over you know my proverbial question is now what Mm-hmm. Now what? How 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 can we shift this needle? How can we move the needle? I I, th- I think that you know it, it sounds kind of a, uh, a hackney phrase, but I I don't think it's a surprise to God, and I think God has has an answer, and God has 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 principles that can help us move this thing. I think first of all, it's got to come back come back to the family. See, I wonder, I wonder what are white parents saying to their white kids now? Mm -hmm. I know what black parents Mm -hmm. are having to say to their black kids, much of which they've been saying all along. But I think that the foundation of our culture is still God's intention of being the family. And so Mm -hmm. on a family level, uh, the the Bible talks about things that are passed down from generation to generation. You know, uh, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, teach these things to your kids. I'm wondering how much of a teachable moment this is for black parents, White parents, Asian parents, Latino parents. What kind of impact is this having having on your family? I'm having just having a conversation before I called you with my son and said, Dad, Dad, what, what, uh, what are we, we going to do? What? What are we going to say in our family? That's the first thing. Second of all, there's got to be a systemic, there's got to be an institutional response to what's going on for people who you've you got to care enough to see this. For example, mm-hmm. somebody knew that that man had a track record of 18 times to mm-hmm. do stuff like the way he killed that man. Somebody knew that yeah. mm-hmm. Some system knew it and allowed that man to stay on that force. Uh, until until we move into that level of responding, nothing's going to change. The systems mm-hmm. are not going to change. It's just, the institutions are not going to change. Now that puts the ball back in my court, back in on my side of the town, because now I pray as never before. I hope mm-hmm. my people. I hope my, uh, my my comrades. I hope they see that if we don't get involved in this political system, nothing's ever going to change. We can march right. from now until the cows come home, but mm-hmm. I hope you know we have a we have a. An emphasis on Father's Day uh, about um, the the, the man who just died, his daughter said, Daddy changed the world. Mm -hmm. And so our emphasis on this Father's Day is going to be the pain and the power of fatherhood. You know, mm, how fathers, cool. how fa- so here's another family, another little girl who's going to see Father's Day without a father. But what is the power of fathers who can now teach and can now declare unto their children, here's the reality of this world, but here's the revelation of what God can do in this world. I that's think lovely. that's got to be on a family level. Maybe it's never before. I, I was talking to a friend of mine today, the guy who cut my hair, and he, uh, his yeah. ex-girlfriend is the, was, the, was a black guy going with a white girl. And he mm. said, uh, she's been weeping she said because she never told her parents who were staunch racist that she was dating a black guy
0: oh wow, oh, n- wow. N- n-
1: never told him so mm-hmm. i think there is a it's an opportunity for the family for the family to rise up and take on a new direction of declaring the truths of god the power of god and yet the reality of the world racism is not dead it's alive and well and the more we think it's dead, the more it's never gonna, never gonna, it's never gonna die. Right. But I think it's the family. I think it's government. And then ultimately, ultimately, I think it's got to be a heart issue. Mm. And that's where it yeah. comes to those of us who claim the name of Christ, because ultimately, ultimately, it is the power of God that changes the heart. We can change the laws. Right, right. But until we change the heart, and, and I, my Bible says it's God who does that. So maybe it's something about the power of God, a fresh anointing ahead, my Pentecostal friends say, a, a fresh anointing on the church where we rely upon the power of God and the Word of God to touch and change hearts. Then this whole thing will change.
0: This is a holy moment that we're experiencing here on the Bottom Line show and Bishop Kenneth Ulmer has been my guest. Uh, the book is called Walls Can Fall and I'm just I'm sitting here gobsmacked uh, Bishop I I I've been so honored to have you here on the program i'd I'd keep you for the whole hour if you had the time but i know you're a busy guy right now doing a lot of (laughs) interviews thank you
1: for having me i really appreciate
0: it yeah that's a a fantastic book i commend it to all of our bottom line listeners and one final question before you go i mean a lot of people are going to be frustrated when they see you know change either happening or not happening because we live in a hurry up app slide right you know whatever world we want we want results now we want reform now um what word do you have to those who are saying, okay, well, we marched and we protested and we ran for office and whatever, and it's not happening fast enough?
1: You know, I, I think, and, and again, I, I don't want to sound
0: you know, super spiritual, but
1: I, I think regardless of the way this thing ends up, and, and, and that's another thing, that's another thing, this is going to be another wave. You've got the election coming up, but as I zoom the lens out, you know, I guess my last word would be, regardless of the way this thing goes, remember how God does us individually. God doesn't give up on us. Nope. Let us not give up on us.
0: Amen. Bishop Kenneth Ulmer, great way to end this conversation. I highly recommend his book, Walls Can Fall, Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness in a Divided World. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Lord willing, if your schedule frees up in the next couple of weeks, I'd love to have you back on for a, a more in-depth conversation about this. Oh, sir, I'd be time. honored. God bless you. Thank okay. you for great. it. Thank
2: you.
1: You're doing a great work. God bless you.
0: And that's how we concluded my conversation with Bishop Kenneth C. Omer today here on The Bottom Line, the founding pastor of, a senior pastor teacher of Faithful Central Bible Church in Los Angeles, a past president and adjunct professor of the King's University in the Southland as well, and author of a book called Walls Can Fall, Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness in a Divided World. There's a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one but two copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line you know it's it's interesting when I think about this book because obviously Bishop Ulmer wrote it about racial reconciliation and and you remember what was going to I mean he wrote the book in December actually they released it in December of 2019 by the time we had this conversation here three years ago it was June of 2020 George Floyd had just happened it was just it was a it really it was a fascinating time in America because not only did you have the tension and racial reconciliation but you also had the uh, the COVID pandemic that was driving people further and further apart and you know it's it's so interesting to to watch how this happens in our culture isn't it we are looking for someone to be the one who's going to bridge the gap who's going to help us you know see uh, that our differences can be set aside and too often Here's a, you know, it starts like this. It's like the old joke. When I was in working in youth ministry for years, there was kind of a little hazing exercise that you would uh, engage the new recruits to your ministry in. And they'd say, okay, here's our first exercise today where everyone is going to confess their worst sin because there's no you know, no judgment, no condemnation here. So, um, you know, here. and then the leader would look at the newest person and say, you go first. And everybody would laugh because not that we had, joy about someone's sin but when it came to making that acknowledgement no one wants to go first i mean who, <laughs> who wants to be the first person to talk about the horrible things that we've done in our sinful fallen state well bishop ulmer i think for the past four decades has done such a wonderful job i mean let's face it the 800-pound gorilla in the room when it comes to racial reconciliation in the church is that the anglo or hispanic church does not fully understand the impact of the african-american church in american life and the African-American church is afraid that if you know, there's some kind of leakage in the walls around there, if you will, that uh, it's somehow going to diminish and minimize their impact in culture. And we'll do, we could do a whole program on that issue. As a matter of fact, that might be a good topic for an upcoming uh, National Crawford Roundtable podcast. I'll have to see what the guys think about that. But on the other side of this break, I want to uh, get into another issue that is also uh, affecting the church right now. And that is the issue of, I can't think of a better way to describe it, but I'll call it ageism. The fact that when you look at the average ages of pastors at churches right now, um, you find one of two things. You either find that they're really old or getting older or hanging around, and isn't it great that Pastor Joe's 75 and still preaches every week? Or where are the young pastors coming up? And a lot of churches, you know, oh, I like this guy, or I like this couple, they do a great job, they're, they're in their 30s. Uh, There was a story out of Dallas recently involving one of those pastors in the latter category that I think speaks to a bigger issue than just, is your pastor an old guy or a young guy? And I think it's worth us taking a look at in terms of maybe reconciling some of the healing that needs to take place in the church that isn't so obvious for us to look at. Let's take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Bishop Kenneth C. Ulmer. Uh, Bishop Ulmer joined me on the Bottom Line Show here uh, in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of the George Floyd uh, race riots and things that were happening, Ahmed Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and things like that, uh, to talk about a book that he had written and it was getting ready to publish in the fall of 2019 and he could not find a Christian publisher to publish it because they thought it was too controversial. Little did they know that this book, I mean, we had this conversation of June of 2020, it was right after George Floyd. It was right at the time when pe- places like LA and Portland and Chicago were just igniting. And for an African-American pastor to say, yeah, it's a—it's tough, it's, it's not easy to walk the road that I've walked or that many African-American Christians have walked, or just African-Americans. But if you use these principles, as a means of saying look if anybody understands reconciliation whether it's because of race or because of religion or because of politics or anything like that it should be the church and we do have the tools to bring uh not only reconciliation but also righteousness in a divided world and so he wrote a book published it on his own it's called walls can fall race reconciliation and righteousness in a divided world we have not one but two copies of this book we're giving away and i encourage you to uh pick up the phone give crystal a call and get one of these copies 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line been reading an awful lot about a guy called brian dunnigan recently and i if you don't recognize his name um it's let this be another reminder to all of us in the body of christ that if you go to a church that's got a pretty good size <clears throat> congregation. They have a pretty good imprint in the local community, and you really think you're getting it done. Um, remember that there are lots of churches that have five to ten to 15,000 congregants that aren't having an impact outside of maybe their own campus. And, and that's not to say that uh, Brian Dunnigan's church did not, but I'll, I'll still never forget the words of Rick Warren. Uh, he sent out an email, this was several years ago, right before Easter, and he was having a prayer breakfast to start Lent, invite local pastors you know and it was really it was just a hey want to pump you guys up and you know easter's coming and then he shared the sobering statistic because saddleback church of course for those outside of southern california it was in orange county california and they were worshiping 25,000 people or something like that every weekend at the time and he said brothers and sisters i tell you that if we filled every pew three services strong every chair every seat this is before people were doing you know the uh online stuff really heavily he said if we got every single one of those seats filled on easter we would impact about five percent of orange county he said let that sink in <laughs> this is how this is how it's going to work you know i mean please understand that we can blow whistles and sound horns and things like that but we have to preach the cross of christ and preach him crucified now here's the the issue. When we were growing up, I was 62. I remember it was not uncommon for churches to say, hey, we're going to retire the old pastor because he's 60, and we're going to bring in the new guy because he's 30, and he's a recent seminary grad, and uh, he's in his late 20s, early 30s, got a wife, a couple of kids, and this is the future of our church. More and more, though, I mean, a lot of those people who took those positions 30, 40 years ago are still active. I mean, my wife and I like to uh, watch the, the Bible teaching of Tony Evans from Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. Just watch it on YouTube. And, uh, and Tony's 74. He's still going strong. Now, his son, Jonathan, I think is in his 40s. And I, my, I would imagine that Jonathan will take over for him. But in that same neck of the woods, I mean, for as big an impact as Oak Cliff has with tens of thousands of people worshiping and uh, the Kingdom Collegiate Academy for their school, they've got a golf course, they have their own credit union. I mean, for crying out loud, they've got kind of a city within a city. Uh, Just up the road a piece is a place called Highland Presbyterian Church and Highland Presbyterian Church is where Brian Dunnigan used to serve as senior pastor. Now he was voted in by the congregation called and voted in to become their senior pastor at the age of 34 Highland Press in case you didn't know about them before has 5,500 members And Pastor Dunnigan had served for nine years as senior pastor. He had just turned 44 years of age when he died in his sleep of natural causes last week. Now, earlier we were talking about COVID and the the, the different, you know, the jabs and everything. And I think not in conspiracy theory mode, but when you see a perfectly healthy 44-year-old man who's ostensibly living right, not taking any drugs or whatever, you have to ask the question, did he get the vaccine? Which one did he get? How many doses did he get? And did it potentially compromise his immune system? Because those vaccines were designed to basically trigger uh, immune defense inside your body to fight COVID. That's, that was the whole point. Get the jab. It triggers the defense. Your body thinks it's being attacked by COVID, so it starts fighting it. So when COVID does show up, you've got this little force field you know, going on. That's... I know i'm not a doctor (laughs) i I could i would have my daughter kaylee come back on she could explain all that she's a research uh scientist but nonetheless but the story of brian dunnigan so many people you know just pouring out their hearts and just you know so sad to see this happen the local pastor at a competing presbyterian church uh, mark davis uh, the pastor of park cities press actually did the eulogy and uh, he had just recorded a podcast with pastor dunnigan about the limitations that god places on those who want to serve him you know a lot of people like to think that they say uh well this is what David said in his eulogy he said one of the things that made brian a great pastor is that he allowed you to ask hard questions like the ones you might be asking now like what happened to my pastor um he taught you to have permission to ask the why but as you've already heard he always kept you anchored in the who as in with him I want to share some final thoughts here as we wrap up the hour. We're going to take a break and then we'll come back and do that about what the passing of Brian Dunnigan does, what a message it sends to us, uh, to his wife and kids, but as a culture and as the church on the whole. We're going to talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about the passing of of pastor brian dunnigan brian was the pastor of senior pastor at highland presbyterian church in dallas congregation of 5,500 people uh, he was called to be pastor there at the age of 34 died ostensibly of natural causes at um at the age of 44 this happened last week and as a lot of people are remembering this guy talking about what a uh, Uh, The guy who's a Christian post said he wanted to be remembered as somebody who put the emphasis on grace and joy in the midst of suffering. He taught a young generation the value of what he called grown-up theology. You know, don't be baby Christians, but grow mature. And it's refreshing to hear a guy who would qualify as a millennial, you know, preaching that message. But I think here's what we could learn from it. First and foremost, there are more Brian Dunnigans out there, not like him. I mean, he's unique. But why aren't we attracting more young men and women into full-time ministry is a question number one number two what is the American the American church is going through a big change a big transition right now in terms of what we thought it was Um, there are some people who are actually a little more progressive and I don't necessarily agree with everything they're saying but I do like the term they came up with they call it the evangelical industrial complex where there was just kind of this machine of you go to this convention and you speak at these conferences and you write this book and you use this formula to grow your church to 5,000 members it's refreshing to see a guy like brian dunnigan who is using what they called grown-up theology to attract a younger audience who's hungry and desperate for god's word but brothers and sisters second timothy 4 3 is here the time has come when people will not stand for sound doctrine instead they want to hear whatever their itching ears want to be told The truth of the gospel is good news and it is we are agents of healing and reconciliation and restoration because that's the essence of our faith jesus christ came to pay the penalty for our sins so god can forgive our sin when we ask him to do so and then we go and forgive others as we have been forgiven so we it doesn't mean we're condoning bad behavior but it means we are living the way god has called us to live and the church grows as more people hear that good news message the good news of grace the good news of forgiveness, not of acceptance. I mean, the left is saying, oh, God just loves you the way you are. He totally accepts you. You're welcome, welcome, welcome. Remember what Billy Graham used to use for the altar call at those, uh, the Billy Graham uh, crusades? Just as I am without one plea, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I come to you in my sinful state, knowing that I can't be received in my sinful state, and yet unless I'm forgiven and made sanctified through the blood of Jesus Christ and I'm believing that blood sanctifies me so I can come to you, Lord, confess my sin, repent, and be your child. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line. KCBC audience, enjoy Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus. Coming up next, for those who remain on the network, this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast is next, as the bottom line continues.